Bill serves as a pastor at Harvest Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, he served as pastor in many churches, and I'm so grateful for Bill and my life and what God's done in and through him. Um, Bill's a faithful expositor of the Word, and this morning I'm glad as we go through Galatians, Bill's going to pick right up in the book we're in, and he's going to walk us through Galatians. So let me pray. God, I thank you for my brother Bill. Thank you that he's a, a brother in Christ, but that he's a brother in my family. I thank you that you, in your goodness and in your grace, you gift us with family. And Lord, I recognize in this congregation, here before me, there's people who have left family and they miss them. And Lord, there's those who have had family leave to go somewhere else and they miss them. Lord, we love our families and we're grateful that you give us the gift of family. But Lord, as we see in Scripture, our greatest family are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are called to be obedient and follow you where you lead. So Lord, we're grateful for those in our congregation who have left family to be here with us. Lord, we're grateful for those here in our congregation who miss family, who have left to go somewhere else. Lord, we're grateful that you take the nations and you mix us up for your glory, that we can anticipate and live for that day in Revelation 5, 9, Revelation 7, 9, when every tribe, tongue, nation, people will gather at your throne. So now, Lord, speak through your word because your word is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So speak to our heart through your word, Jesus. Amen. Uh, we're going to continue in our, our study of Galatians this morning and pick up right where Steve left off. So if you would stand with me and uh, we're going to read starting in Galatians chapter 3 verses 10 through 14. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that, why we, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. And the people of God said, praise, praise be to God. Let's sit down, please. Father, thank you for this time we have. I pray that in the next uh, 25 minutes to half hour that we can uh, look at this word that you've given us. And that we can learn from it and grow in it. I pray, God, that you, uh, just like you send rain. It accomplishes uh, the purposes for which you've sent it. Your word is like the rain coming down from heaven. I pray that the Spirit of God would appropriate the right thoughts and application of this word to each person individually here today. It's no accident that we've gathered here to worship. It's no accident that we're hearing this text today. Uh, we're going to assume, Lord, that each of us needs to hear this text and there's something here for us to, to learn so thank you, God, for your, uh, the gift of your word. And uh, we pray, God, asking that you would use it uh, productively in our lives for the advancement of the gospel. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Now last week Steve uh, preached an excellent sermon and, and he, uh, he, he talked about uh, so many of the things that were going wrong in the church, uh, the Galatian church. And primarily what was going wrong was that they had drifted away from uh, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, God alone, scripture alone. They were adding to uh, the process of justification by faith. Uh, Paul addresses them in Galatians chapter 3 verse 1 by saying, calling them foolish. Telling them that they had been bewitched. That there was something going on in the church that was not good. In our text this morning, he begins with a curse. The word law is mentioned five times in our text, but the word curse in the first two verses is also mentioned. It says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. That's Paul saying this. It says, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. That's Moses saying that, and that's from Deuteronomy chapter 27. And so in two places here, Paul saying this, Moses saying this, he talks about a curse. The New Testament equivalent of a curse would be something like what, what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 23 where he talks about the woes. Woe are you, scribes and Pharisees. Remember those? There are seven woes in Matthew chapter 23 that G Jesus speaks against the Pharisees. Now, a curse is something that, that doesn't always uh, express itself immediately. In other words, uh, when, when, the, when this curse is given, uh, when God said, for instance, uh, the day you eat from this, you shall surely die. Adam and Eve didn't die right away, but eventually they did. So it, it looks towards a signal that something's coming in the future and when you talk about curses, that something that's coming in the future is something to be dreaded. It's something that you don't want. It's something that you're not looking forward to. And so Paul says in this text, all who are under the law, the works of the law, are under a curse. So he's reminding the, uh, the church at Galatia, at, uh, at Galatia that there's something coming if you want to maintain this position of trying to earn your righteousness through the law or add to justification of faith that won't be pleasant for you. Those who are trying to do that, there's a curse waiting for you. And so uh, in our text, what I think Paul is doing is he's trying to, uh, to wake the church at uh, the Galatian church up to, to move them away from this this bewitched state that they're in and this foolishness that they're entertaining and so he wants to remind them uh, that that uh, he, of who they are in Christ now that's not inconsistent I don't think with any of us I mean for, in my life uh, I'm 65 years old and have been a Christian since I was 14 so that's do the math that's 51 years of being a, a committed believer uh, and, and serve, trying to serve the Lord faithfully. But there have been many times in my, my life where, where I have maybe strayed from the, the teaching of the Scripture or maybe uh, moved away, not completely understood what the Scripture was teaching and have had to be gently nudged back or reminded by those who have discipled me or pastored me that my, my line of thinking might not be, might be, be right. And so Paul wants to do this with the church at Galatia. He wants to say, hey, look, you've drifted. 
You've moved away from the truth, the truth I left there, and I want to help you get back to where you're supposed to be. So this morning what I'd like to do is go over two reminders that I see here in this text that Paul is giving them that I think can be reminders for us as well in the modern day church because we do get caught up sometimes in moralism and legalism. And we need to make sure that we don't do that. And we stay clearly inside of the lines of justified by faith. Faith and justification. That faith will, our faith in Christ is what justifies us and not our works. So the first reminder is this. We're not just justified. We're not justified by the law. We're justified by faith. Now I think that everybody gets that. We're not justified by the law. We're justified by faith. Faith precedes justification. Okay? We're not justified by the law. We're justified by faith. And faith precedes justification. Now, now what do I mean by that? Paul says this. He says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law. And do them. Now it's evident in verse 11 that no one is justified by God, before God, by, by the law. When Paul says this thing, it's evident, what he's saying is, you know, there are over 600 laws that were given. Most of those laws were given uh, uh, through Moses in the Old Testament. Uh, not many were given before, not many were given after until Christ came. But what he's saying is to be justified by the law, what you would have to do is to obey all of those laws. You'd have to make sure you committed to obeying those things and that you didn't omit anything. So there's laws that, that you're committed to and there's things we're told not to do. And by the way, not just doing of those things, but having the right motives for those things matters as well. And so anyone who wanted to be justified by the law would have to do everything that's written in the book of law. And not just do those things, but do them, do them with the right attitudes and the right motives. Now, uh, Paul says that uh, in this text that it's evident that that's impossible. If anyone has done that in here, if anyone's been perfectly obedient to the law and uh, in both the way you act and the way you perform them and the, your attitude, would you please stand up because we would like to praise you this morning. Exactly, right? No one needs to be convinced that you're a sinner. No one needs to be convinced that you've broken the law. And that's what Paul's saying. It's evident. Same word that Paul used, or that uh, was used in the Gospel of Matthew. Remember when, when Peter was denying Christ, that unfortunate story uh, in his life, that chapter in his life that's not so good? He's there at that charcoal fire. The two servant girls come up and they say, you were with Jesus. He says, no, I wasn't. And the third person comes up and says, basically say, he says, it's clear by the way you talk and the way that you look and who you are, it's evident you were with Jesus. That's what Paul's saying here. It's evident in our lives that we can't keep the law. As hard as we try and as much as we want to, it's been an impossible thing for us to do. So there's a curse on us. Because we have not kept the law. But fortunately, Habakkuk is quoted here in this text as well. In verse 11, he says, The righteous shall live by faith. 
The righteous shall live by faith. Going back to righteousness, the first person that, that I could remember when I was younger being called righteous was, was Abraham. You go back to, Ab- to Genesis 15, 6. It says that Ab- Abraham believed God. He believed God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. But Abraham's not the first uh, that was actually uh, commended for his faith and therefore made righteous. You can go back through a long list of names. Uh, Habakkuk knew it. Abraham knew it. Uh, Abel. Was, we're told that Abel's faith, not his gift, was commended by God to him, his righteousness. Enoch walked with God by faith. Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they all are mentioned where? In Hebrews chapter 11, that hall of fame of faith? By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. The way that they were justified by God was not through their moral living or righteous living. The way they were commended to God or right with God was through faith. Faith. These all lived way before Moses even was who gave us the law. They had faith, and it was through faith that they had their relationship with God. The righteous will live by faith, live now by faith, live in the future by faith. But we live now in this faith. There's no, none of us as believers can be made right with God through our moral living. Even now as believers, our righteous living with God comes through faith living even today. We'll get to that in just a minute. Our writer even goes so far in Hebrews 11 to tell us that it's impossible. It's impossible to please God without faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. No matter how hard you try, no matter what great efforts you make, no matter how faithfully you're keeping the Word, if you're depending on your righteous living, moral living, to give you right relationship with God, you're going to fail. You're under a curse. All of these Hall of Famers of faith were declared righteous, commended for their, their faith, And it happened way before Moses. Righteousness does not come before faith. Their faith preceded their righteousness. Do you see that? That's the reminder that Paul is giving the church, the Galatian church. Faith is a necessary ingredient for righteousness. Faith precedes righteousness. We can spend more time here but we don't have it this morning. I think you'll cover it over the next few weeks, and you have some tremendous uh, expositors of the Word to look forward to hearing what they say about this. But I think it's clear what Paul is reminding us of. Again, righteousness does not come through the law. Why? Why doesn't it come through the law? We can't keep it. It's impossible. And we got a problem because of that. We're not able to keep it. That curse, remember that curse we talked about? That's a real thing. Nobody wants a curse in their life. And so now now Paul begins to remind the church at Galatia that there's a cure. And so we're going to move from a curse to a blessing. He reminds us of a blessing, this blessing of redemption that we have. Reminder is how that we're redeemed. There's 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 a declaration of righteousness that's been accomplished and can be applied. And so the, the second reminder that we have here in our text is this. Second reminder. The curse has been 
redeemed by a blessing. The curse has been redeemed by a blessing, and that's true of every believer. There's been a curse. The curse has been redeemed by a blessing. How does this work? We began by talking about the curse. Let's talk about a blessing. A blessing is completely different than a curse. A curse is like an anti-beatitude. A blessing is like a beatitude. Blessed. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. It's something that hasn't been realized yet, though, right? Blessings are often signals to look to something in the future as well. There's something coming that's going to be good. I'm going to bless your life. And while it might not be realized immediately, it will happen. And so we're told in our text that there's a blessing in verse 14 uh, that's coming through Abraham. So let's talk about the blessing for just a second. Remember I told you earlier in the Scriptures the, uh, the God said that the day you eat from that apple, you'll die. There's the prophets say that, that, uh, uh, that the soul that sins will surely die. We've read those things before, but yet we're alive, right? We're alive right now. We haven't died yet. When, when uh, Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the garden, did they die immediately? They didn't. The curse was not realized right away. They were, they were expelled from the garden. You know, Adam and Eve had a son. Let me illustrate just through them what, what happened. Adam and Eve had a son. I had two sons. One was Cain, one was Abel. I told you earlier, Abel, but because of his faith, not because of his gift, was commended to God because of his faith. Cain wasn't that way. Cain had no faith. Cain's idea of, of worship was to get rid of Abel. So he kills his brother Abel because Cain has no faith. They have a son. Adam and Eve have a son. What's his name? Do you remember? Seth. You know, over here in Ethiopia, names mean a lot. The name Seth, it meant something as well. It meant replacement. Remember? Replacement. Seth was the son who would replace, uh, he would replace Abel because Abel had been killed. Now, by the way, think about this. Abel is killed. Up to that point, had they ever seen human death before? No. They hadn't. They had never seen a human die before. So probably in their mind, they're thinking, wow, this is what happened. Where's he gone? Seth comes along, the replacement. Another generation passes and then another. A son, another son is born. In Genesis chapter 4, that son's name is Enosh. Do you know what the word Enosh means? It means mortal one. Mortal one. They're getting it, right? Mortal one. And the next verse says, And then men and women began to call upon the name of the Lord. Then they began to call upon the name of the Lord. Why is that? Because they look back at Genesis 3.15, the first gospel that was given. And in that first gospel of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says one day somebody's coming. Somebody's going to come and he's going to deliver. He's going to crush the head of this serpent. He's going to take away the curse. God is going to provide that someone. 
God is going to send someone. And so that someone has been looked for and looked for from generation to generation to the point of Abraham where he stands before God and God shows him the stars and says, through you all nations will be blessed. Blessed through Abraham in material ways, blessed in a physical way, but blessed through him through faith, the faith that Abraham had. And so God sends someone, someone to become that cursed. And in verse 13, we're told that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law and became a curse for us. You see what happens there? Here's the righteous Son of God who did live out the law, obeyed it perfectly, not just by the letter of the law, but in the spirit of the law. All his thoughts and intentions were perfect. And the irony of it is, he should have received the blessing. But he took the curse. He took the curse instead. He, he took our curse. You know, there's a story in Leviticus 6 of atonement. I love, I love that the story in Leviticus chapter 16, I'm sorry, about this atonement. And why is it? They take two goats. Remember the story? They take two goats. One of the goats is, goats is called a scapegoat. The priest brings the two goats. They cast lots. One they're going to kill. One they're going to release. They take the one that loses and they take that goat and they sacrifice that goat. They kill that goat. That goat's blood is shed for the remission of the sins of the nation. It's symbolic. It points toward something. It points toward Christ. It wasn't the blood of that goat that cured anybody or healed anybody. It's the future blood that will be shed. Then they take the other goat and they symbolically lay hands on that goat saying, we're going to lay all our sins on this goat. And they do that with that goat, and they release that goat, symbolizing what? The sins are carried away. And that's what Christ did on the cross, right? The substitutionary atonement. My sins were laid on Him. He took my sin. The Scripture literally says, He became sin for me. You think about that for a second. The weight of all the sin. How, there's times in your own life, think back, where there's maybe a besetting sin in your life that filled you with, with uh, depression. It made your, gave you anxiety. It made your life hard. It was constantly on your mind. You know, the writer of Hebrews says that sin is like a weight that weighs us down. You've been weighted down by your sin before? Think about collectively all just the sins in this room being laid on Christ in a real way that they become His. And He feels that weight because it's laid on Him. And our sin is put on Him. And the irony of the obedient Savior living His life becoming a curse for us. And it's hard to imagine, but He didn't. He did that. He paid the purchase price. Verse 13 says, He redeemed us. He redeemed us. There's a redemption. We're redeemed us from the curse of the law. He paid a price to redeem anyone from, from the bondage that they're in requires a price being paid. He paid the price to set, to set you free, set me free, each of us free. Redeemed us from that curse and in exchange for the curse gives us a blessing. 
gives us the blessing. And what is that? The blessing of Abraham. Someone's coming. Someone's coming. He's going to take away the curse. He's going to give us hope. He's going to give us life. You're not going to achieve righteousness through the law. You'll have to put your faith in the one who did live righteously. And so he does that. We receive the promised spirit through this. And that's the last part of this, this sermon is in, in the la- it's verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, what is that? Faith being the declaration of righteousness. You know, we have the same declaration that God gave Abraham. We've been declared righteous just like he was through the same faith that he had. We had this blessing. The blessing again, remember we talked about blessing? Something to look forward to. Something to look forward to. Heaven, eternal life, the forgiveness of our sins. We receive the promised spirit through faith in verse 14. And I think this is, this is Jesus, or Paul reminding us that this living out the gospel, and I want you to think about this for just a second. It's impossible for us to live the law outright. It's impossible for us to, to really, I mean, evident, we look around again. But God sent us his spirit. Why? To remind us. And what's he reminding us of this? He's reminding us of, of the fact that we can't live out the law. If you read Romans chapter 4, we don't have time. One of the things it says about Abraham, just to help explain this. It says that Abraham, he said, if Abraham had worked righteousness, if he worked all day long and he was righteous, then he would receive a wage for that, right? If you work all day long for someone, you're hoping you're going to get paid. <laughs> you receive a wage. Do they pay you because they're just gracious? They pay you because you worked for it. And if you worked for it, you can boast about it, right? So here we are, what Paul's telling the church at Galatia, he's saying, hey, look, th- those things that people are putting on you, those extras, those are works, right? It's, 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 those give you reason for boast, boasting. They give you reason to be proud and puffed up like God owes us something. What Paul is saying to us is, hey, every day as a Christian, it began with faith, and it is presently faith, and it will end with faith. Our wages that we should get are the curse. But on a daily basis, what we have to do is live in faith. What is that? Christ did this. I don't have to work my way in. If I'm obedient, it's from God's love, not for His love. And even in all of my obedience, I don't deserve anything. I don't have any room to boast in anything. My works are just to display the love that God has for me and the power of His Spirit that He sent to indwell me, to give me, to enable me to be able to do some of these things but not all of these things, and certainly not very well. And that's the reminder. And the last thing I'll leave you with this is that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And in that new creation, there's going to be some fruit that comes out of your life through the faith that you have and what Christ has done for you. But let me read something to you that I read that I thought makes a lot of sense. Real doers of the law, therefore, the real doers of the law are who? They're believers. They're believers. But because we only have the first fruits of the Spirit, remember? I mean, we're not there yet, folks. We're not there. God hasn't, we don't have glorified bodies yet. We haven't been, you know, completely sanctified in a way that we 
we express all the fruit of God. We have the first fruits of the Spirit and not the tenth fruits. We do not observe the law perfectly. Amen? This imperfection of ours, however, is not imputed to us for Christ's sake. And that's what we have to remember by preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. The imperfections that still exist in our life and will always exist in our life this side of heaven have been imputed to Jesus. So we live by that faith. We live by that kind of faith. What Christ has done for us and the redemption and the blessing we have in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You gave us this blessing. Thank You that You delivered us from the darkness that we are in. Thank You that You've made it possible for us to walk in newness of life. God, keep us from being foolish, bewitched believers who think we can add something to Your faith and grace. Righteousness comes through faith and not our moral living. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.